0: Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker,
1: musician, former professor, and the host of Love & Life, Dr.
0: Karen Anderson Abrel. Welcome to Love & Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abrel. It's time for another Q&A episode. Let's jump right in. The first question has to do with distancing. Did he distance himself from me because of social distancing?
2: Hi. So grateful to be able to ask you a couple questions. Okay. Super messy, but here we go. Recently broke up with a boyfriend that I was with for two and a half years due to his alcoholism, addiction so on and so forth. Decided to get out there and see what's out there and had met this guy. We didn't meet online. We met organically. And I was about an hour and a half away from my hometown and met him. And then we chatted for about four days straight. He called me every night on the phone. And then he asked me if I'd be his Valentine, which was super sweet. And we met halfway. And he took me to a really nice restaurant. Very, very classy place. It was was wonderful. And then we went our separate ways, met up again about a week later. And it's been this way for... I'd say maybe a month and a half we've been, I've always drove to him, which probably was too much work on my end, but he does live in a little bigger area, more things to do. So I would drive over there and anyways, so this whole coronavirus thing is happening, right? And I got really sick for a while and i started to notice he was not calling me every night and then when he would call me it would be at like 12:30 at night text messages started to kind of slow down he wasn't responding as much so i kind of i kind of stepped back a little saturday i drove over to see my sister, and I was texting him, and he just like wasn't responding at all. And I I asked him like, "Hey, did your thumbs fall off? Like, what's going on?" Anyways, he was still not responding, so I called him, and phone call was super awkward. And I said, "So when do you think we'll be able to see each other again?" And he said, "Well, I don't know. Probably when this virus stuff is over." And I was like, "Yeah, okay. Well, see you later." And we hung up and then a couple hours later, I'd sent him an image of just some numbers for coronavirus and he didn't respond. So I haven't talked to him since Saturday. I don't even know what to do at this point. Like, do I reach out and be like, hey, are you okay? Usually he's always sees my stories um, when I post a story on Instagram you can see your viewers and it always, his name's always there. He hasn't seen any of my stories. He's not on Snapchat. He's like disappeared from social media. I'm not blocked. I can still see him and his stuff, but he's not posting either. So makes me kind of think, well, Hey, maybe something's going on with him. Like maybe he's not ghosting me. Maybe, I don't know. Anyways, I don't know what I should do. I don't know if I should just send out like one last just checking on you. Like I don't know what to do. And on top of all of it, my ex has been trying to come back and like weasel is way back in here. He's making huge strides and changes and he's clean and all these things. And I am really super unsure about it, but I have a weird feeling like what if my ex got a hold of him on social media and was like, leave her alone. I don't know why I have this weird feeling, but I want to know why. And I know you say it doesn't matter either way, but uh, I don't know. All right. Well, thanks for your time. You are an amazing woman. You are such an inspiration. All right. Bye, girly. Thanks. After she submitted her question,
0: I received a DM indicating that there were a couple more details to this story. She says, I left out two important details. The last time we were together, he almost told me he loved me. He caught himself and stumbled over his words. He did have a little bit to drink, and I figured it was the alcohol. Also, the first time we were ever together sexually, we made an agreement that if we would be exclusive to each other. So I'm not sure if she means... If we were to be exclusive with anyone, it would be with each other. Or if she means that once they were together sexually, it was understood that they would be exclusive. Either way, I definitely have some thoughts. So I want to start with the question you're asking about what the heck happened. And yes, you are correct. I am a fan of trying not to let that need for closure get us so upset because, yes, it's natural to want to know why. What the heck happened? Did he literally ghost because he got freaked out about COVID? Or is he seeing someone else? Or did your ex find him and stalk him on social media and threaten him? I mean, it's really impossible to know. And it's maddening. It is frustrating. It's infuriating. But we make ourselves crazy when we insist on having an answer, because the hard reality is if a guy starts distancing and pulling back, that's the behavior you need to pay attention to. No matter what he said in the past, even that he almost said, I love you when he was drinking, What we're dealing with is the present, and that is so hard, and it's so painful, and I've been there, and I've felt that, and I have had exactly the same thoughts that you have, like, what's going on? Everything was going so great. So the desire to want to know what happened is completely normal and natural. We think, we don't realize it, but we think that if we could figure it out, then we could somehow control what happened. I talk about this in the first chapter of my book it's a normal response because we are women who take charge of everything that we can in our lives. And so when something goes down that's out of our control, it trips us up. So we think, if I could figure out what went wrong, I could maybe fix it with him and we could get back on track. Or if I could figure out what went wrong with this relationship, maybe I could prevent this happening again in the future. So it's all completely rational to want that knowledge. But as you noted, I encourage us all to let go of that need, of that desire to know because as long as we're clinging to that, we are not moving forward and we are staying stuck in a relationship that from what we're seeing in the present does not look like it's moving forward and we don't really know why. And we may never know why. And that's hard. It's hard to imagine that there will be relationships that went off course, and we really don't ever know why. It's part of being in relationships, though. We don't always get those answers. So I would encourage you to revisit if you've listened to it before, or if you haven't listened to it, please do listen now to episode 69 Closure Why It's So Hard to Get and Give. And I share. Two personal experiences, one in which I so desperately wanted closure, and another in which I could not give closure to my ex fiance, who frankly really had uh, every reason to want to have more specifics and more details as to why I, in fact, called off my wedding two months before it was supposed to happen. So I think that will be helpful for you at this time. And to answer your two other questions, No, I don't think you should reach out anymore. You reached out with a text about are your thumbs falling off? And then when you did call, you said it was very awkward. The conversation was uncomfortable. Again, we're not always that good at letting people go, even when we're the one who is breaking things off. And he's not chosen to have a very direct conversation about what's going on with him. He's doing this slow fade. Into the background. And it could be that he doesn't even know why. I mean, maybe he's freaked out about COVID. Who knows? Or maybe he's been seeing some other women too, and something is taking off. He's building momentum with another relationship. And so he just wants to move in that direction. And he frankly doesn't want to have the awkward, uncomfortable conversation of saying, Hey, it was great knowing you, but I'm not interested in pursuing this further. And yes, we wish that everyone could be mature enough to have those conversations. But also, he may not even know what's going on in his head. And that's what I talk about in the closure episode. Sometimes we want things from people that they just are incapable of giving. I'm not trying to make an excuse for him. I'm just trying to give explanations as to what's going on, potentially. But obviously, I don't have any more information. I have less information than you do about him and what might be his motivation. But I do know that the longer that you keep insisting that you need this information, the longer that he is still in control and has power over you. And also, as a woman, I was always a fan of letting the guy lead and pursue me because I felt safer and more secure in that position. And yes, you could say it's old school. And I'm not saying that every woman must take that approach. That's not my business to tell every woman what to do. I can only share what I felt comfortable doing. And frankly, when I could sense he was pulling away, I did feel out of control. I did feel powerless when that happened to me. And one of the ways I wanted to take power back was to say, yeah, I'm not going to be chasing after you. If you are pulling back, and you don't have the maturity to have that conversation with me, then the last thing I'm going to do is give you the satisfaction of me trying to reach out and go, hey, what's going on? And I know that in the back of your mind, you're like, is he okay? Is he alive? Because we do. We freak out. You have feelings for this person. You've been intimate with this person. You care about him. And he's not looking at your stories. And he's not on Snapchat. And you're thinking, what's going on? Is he ill? Did he get in a car wreck? Is he in a coma in a hospital? I mean, these are the kind of conversations we have in our head. But we also know when we're being more rational that that's probably not what is going on. The simplest explanation is often the most accurate. He isn't emotionally mature enough to have a very direct conversation with you. So he is pulling back and letting you read between the lines, which isn't all that kind or loving. But it's what many of us have done over the years when we just didn't have the wherewithal to say what's going on in our head. Or, as I mentioned, if we didn't even have the wherewithal to know what's going on in our head. And finally, you mentioned your ex getting clean and making strides. And maybe he made so many strides that now he's going after this guy, your new guy. I don't know. That's hard to say. And as far as getting back with your ex, I also have a chapter in my book about that. I'm not a big fan. Personally, I got back with a bunch of exes over the years to give it one more go and because I still cared and my heart was still in it and these never worked. So I know that they can. Sometimes people get reunited and it absolutely does work, but especially because of what you discussed earlier about your ex and his addictions, I'd hate to see him Get cleaned up just enough to get you back and then go back to his typical way of behaving. And I'd also hate for you to go back to him just because it's comfortable and just because you're brokenhearted from this new relationship that doesn't seem to be going any further. And quite frankly, many times when people get back with their exes, it's because of those reasons. They're lonely, they're afraid they're never going to meet anyone. They're afraid they're going to be alone for forever. And so they think, huh, well, I guess it wasn't that bad with him. And I guess we could make a go of it. And maybe he's changed and maybe I've changed and maybe we can get it right this time. But frankly, my concern is that when people do that, it's another form of settling. Like I just don't have the strength to be alone anymore. I just don't have the strength to have hope that the right one is out there for me that my person does exist. I've given up, so I'll go for, eh, good enough. And people do that all the time, but that's not what I'm hoping for all of us. I want us all to find our person who is the best we've ever been with and blows all those other people out of the water. So that's what I hope for you. Thank you for the question, and I hope that was helpful. If you're single, you've likely heard it all. You've been told you're too picky, you should just get on another dating app, or that you're not trying hard enough. And you're probably really tired of hearing those messages, because I know I was when I was single for all those years, which is why I felt the need to bring another perspective to the dating relationship self-help genre. Single is a new black, don't wear white till it's right is my take on what the single life can be if we refuse to settle, we know that we're worth an extraordinary relationship, and we refuse to fall prey to single shaming. Trust me, it is a different self-help book. Check it out on amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, or on my website, www.drkaren.me, D-R-K-A-R-I-N.me. The next question was inspired by an IGTV Q&A I do pretty frequently to answer questions that way as well. The question was about bipolar 2 disorder. A woman had been dating a guy for 18 months, a year of that. They'd been living together. When they broke up because she found some inappropriate texts and things, when she confronted him, she learned that he had been emotionally cheating on her throughout their entire relationship. At that same time, he tells her, oh, also, I have bipolar, too, which he had never told her before, even though they'd lived together for a year and dated for 18 months. I shared my thoughts there, and I will share some more right here.
3: Hey, Dr. Karen, I watched your Instagram video on he cheated on me, then says he's bipolar. So I had the same situation happen to me. He said that he had bipolar disorder with mixed features, and I told him about my generalized anxiety disorder. So seven months into the relationship, we broke it off because he wanted to get help on his own without me and thought he actually might have PTSD. Well, days after, I was so anxious that I stopped eating or sleeping. My psychiatrist put me on a mood stabilizer and came to the conclusion that I have ADD, anxiety, and bipolar 2 disorder. I told my mom about this And at the same time, my mom happened to be talking to a neurosurgeon at NYU who had just performed my sister's brain surgery the day before. He said the same thing as you have, where bipolar 2 is commonly being misdiagnosed. So now I don't know what to do or even where to go from here. So if you have any thoughts or suggestions, I would love to hear some from you and just get your feedback.
0: Thank you so much. So first, I'd like to address the situation with you, and then we'll get to you and your ex. I am concerned, and I'm really thankful that your mother happened to hear the same thing from the neurosurgeon who was working with your sister, because we're in an age of diagnostic inflation. And this is not just my opinion. This is the opinion of many, many, many professionals in the field, and not just psychologists. And just as a reminder Psychologists have PhDs. We've done research, but that's not a medical degree, right? Psychiatrists have the medical degree. They are physicians who specialize in mental conditions. Because psychiatrists are medical doctors, they oftentimes approach mental conditions with a very medical model, and they are very quick to prescribe psychotropic medication for conditions. Psychologists may look at the same circumstances or presenting problems and see these as opportunities to intervene with therapeutic, psychotherapeutic techniques and strategies. So for anyone interested in this response and why I'm coming from this position, please listen to episode 22, Is Anybody Normal Anymore? It's with psychiatrist Dr. Alan Francis. So remember, he is a medical doctor. In fact, he chaired the steering committee for the DSM-IV. The DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. So he has been in leadership in the psychiatric community in terms of determining what constitutes a psychiatric illness and how we should treat these illnesses. And this is stuff like, what is depression? What are the criteria that one would have to exhibit in order to be diagnosed with depression? Again, he is an excellent resource for this. His book is called Saving Normal, An Insider's Revolt Against Out-of-Control Psychiatric Diagnosis, DSM-5, Big Pharma, and the Medicalization of Ordinary Life. And that book title says it all. He's concerned about out-of-control diagnoses. I'm concerned that you had generalized anxiety disorder. You went through a breakup. You couldn't eat. You were anxious and lost weight. And frankly, I think it's pretty normal to, after a breakup, be freaked out, anxious, depressed, lose weight or gain weight, depending on your temperament. And yet, you went to your psychiatrist and he slaps you with two more diagnoses. That concerns me. Now you're ADD and bipolar too. Personally, I have no psychiatric illnesses and I went through many breakups. After every single one, I was freaked out, depressed, and couldn't eat and lost weight. Your behaviors are quite normal given the fact that you went through a breakup. So, that's my concern. That's Dr. Francis's concern talking about out-of-control diagnoses. Why are we giving you a diagnosis when you're experiencing heartbreak? So that's the out-of-control diagnosis part of Dr. Francis's subtitle. DSM-5, if you get into the history of the DSM, in the 70s, homosexuality was considered a mental disorder. The reality is the DSM is partly informed by societal trends, and I spoke to that in the IGTV right now, bipolar 2 is a hot condition. And I hate to say that because I'm not trying to undermine the professionals who are out there truly trying to help people. But what happens is when a diagnosis becomes hot, people go to seminars, they learn about it. And oftentimes, and this speaks to the other part of Dr. Francis's subtitle, Big Pharma, the pharmaceutical corporations come up with a pill, and then they come up with the ill to peddle the pill. Truly, it's outrageous. The idea is that we have a pill, so if everyone can go around diagnosing people with the condition that our pill will help, in quotes, because how helpful these psychotropic drugs are actually, is suspect. Much of the research is funded by these very same pharmaceutical corporations. So obviously, they are hoping that the results will conclude that the medication appears to be effective. So with pharmaceutical corporations being as powerful as they are in our culture, we see things like, I mean, you see it on TV, is your SSRI not working? SSRIs are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Prozac would be, well, Buterin would be another. Is, if your SSRI isn't working, take a Abilify like the chaser drug after your Prozac isn't working, instead of going, hmm, maybe the Prozac's not working because I'm also not seeing a therapist to talk about the thought patterns that are behind this depression. But instead of doing that, I'll take the chaser drug Abilify, which is an antipsychotic. An antipsychotic. If someone is feeling sad because they are brokenhearted or because their grandmother died and we give them Prozac and then the Prozac doesn't work because really we just need to grieve, And grieving is natural and normal and part of the human condition, but the Prozac isn't working, so now we give them an antipsychotic? This is how out of control things have gotten. And so again, the final piece of Dr. Francis's subtitle, which I love so much, is the medicalization of ordinary life, and that's what I just spoke to. Ordinary life consists of highs and lows and ups and downs, and it would be abnormal to have a regular appetite and to not feel anxiety and depression and be freaked out while going through the aftermath of a breakup. It would be abnormal for you to be feeling completely 100% yourself because your heart's broken. And we can't medicalize heartbreak. It happens. You You guys can tell I'm very passionate about this subject. So please listen to that episode with Dr. Francis because you will hear From his psychiatrist's perspective, he is a medical doctor. He is not anti all medications. This is not what we're talking about. We're talking about the out-of-control aspects, which are rampant in our culture today, partly because Big Pharma is one of the most powerful lobbyists in Washington, and that's a discussion for another day. But I'm concerned for you I don't want you hopped up on any more medication. I want you to recognize that being heartbroken is painful enough to be experiencing these symptoms. For any of you who are interested in this topic, like I am, and want to explore it further, please listen to two other podcast episodes. I interviewed Dr. Leonard Sachs. He has both a PhD in psychology and an MD. He's written many books about parenting and helping us understand what kids are going through nowadays due to cultural changes in our society. He joined me for a two-part episode, episode 33, I Just Want My Kids to Be Happy and Other Flawed Parenting Ideals, and episode 34, American Parenting, Why It's So Hard But Doesn't Have to Be. That will be really interesting for any of you who are A, parents, B, work with kids, or C, if you have the same concerns that Dr. Francis does about the medicalization of ordinary life. Now to the breakup. I have to say I am really impressed with your ex because he believes he has bipolar with mixed features and seven months into your relationship realizes that he has work to do on his own and that the help he needs to seek has to be an individual process. And I admire that because I agree with him. If he's feeling that the bipolar isn't under control and he might even have PTSD, he's clearly in a space where he needs to press pause and take care of himself. I'm so impressed by that. Typically, people cling to a relationship because it feels comfortable and it feels safe and it feels supportive. And that's there's nothing wrong with enjoying the support of a relationship. But when we're talking about intense diagnoses, like he's talking about, if he really truly has bipolar 2, and he may have because it exists. And if he's now believing he has PTSD, which is possible, I don't know what he's been through. But the point is that he decided he needed to do his intrapersonal work. He needed to dig within and sort himself out so that he could be in a place to be emotionally available for a relationship. So I'm impressed with that. I know that's so hard because, I mean, I had someone break up with me before because, you know, it's not you, it's me kind of stuff. And I got to work on myself and I don't feel accomplished enough and confident enough in my own life. And I need to break away from you to do that independently. And in the moment, I was wrecked. (laughs) I was totally wrecked. But looking back, that is the kind and loving and mature thing to do. So I don't know if that's helpful or hurtful. And I don't mean to be hurtful, obviously. But I do have to give him kudos for recognizing that he can't be in a relationship right now. And finally, I know you asked for some thoughts and suggestions. So of course, my suggestion is to listen to that podcast, episode 22. Also read his book. And I would try to get a consultation with your sister's neurosurgeon, and perhaps he would consider this to be out of his realm. But because he's concerned about the diagnostic inflation of bipolar 2 as well, perhaps he has someone he could refer you to that would be more aware of this and maybe provide you with some strategies that don't involve just heaping on more diagnoses. So I hope that would be helpful. Thanks for the question. Let's connect on social. I'm most active on Instagram at Dr. Karen. That's D R. K A R I N. On Twitter, I'm at Dr. Karen Anderson. Live tweet with me when I watch my favorite shows, Will and Grace, my brand new fave, God Friended Me, and of course, all shows Bachelor Nation. Join me on Facebook where I'm stepping up my Facebook Live game. I'm at Dr. Karen Anderson
1: Hi, Dr. Karen, I have a question for you. I've been seeing my boyfriend for the past year, and ever since I met him, he's been emotionally detached. He has told me that he has a history of depression, and he was on antidepressants when he was a young adult, and he no longer takes medication for that. He doesn't speak to anybody professionally. He's on permanent disability, and he has a lot of time on his hands, and he's home a lot, and you know he doesn't have children obviously he's not married so i feel like you know he's kind of lost purpose in his life he's not affectionate with me he never has been he doesn't like intimacy in a relationship anytime i try to talk to him about important things in our relationship or how it's making me feel you know i'm feeling insecure because he's not affectionate even with giving a hug he he you know, will just lay there like just spaghetti arms and not put his arms around me. I have to force him to do that. And I love him and I feel that he does love me, but he shows it in different ways. And I think part of the problem is I believe his love language is gift giving and receiving, and mine is touch and affirmation. And I don't get either of those two from him. So I guess... You know, I just want to know how how can I deal with this relationship because I'm really trying, but I don't know if it's going to go the distance because I don't feel secure in it because he's not showing me affection. He doesn't tell me he loves me. He doesn't really tell me how he feels about me. But anytime I do try to bring up the subject of maybe we should go our separate ways, he right away like panics and doesn't want that. So any suggestion on how you can deal with somebody that's just, he's just emotionally shut down. Also, I rarely see him really smile or laugh. You know, I just feel like maybe something's going on with him, but he's also not a person that maybe is going to speak to a therapist or get in deep with the feelings or things like that. So if you could shed any insight on that, that would be so helpful to me. Um because I am getting older, and I'm approaching 40. And it's really hard because, you know, you don't want to give up a relationship in fear, you know, that you're making a wrong decision. So anything that that you can suggest to deal with this would be
0: so greatly appreciated. Thank you. So it's interesting, we were just talking about psychiatric illness. And in this case, your boyfriend does sound depressed. You mentioned he was on meds at one point when he was a young adult and now he's got permanent disability. Is that from the depression? So we don't have that information. But here's my concern again. If he stepped into an identity of I'm a depressed person and then received disability because of it and now stays at home and never gets out and doesn't work so he has no meaning and purpose in his life and he doesn't get out and move his body And he won't go to therapy, you said, so he's not really interested in tackling this depression. He wants to be in a relationship with you, but clearly knows your needs and your love language. And I love that you bring up love languages because these are very complex realities, but also very basic. When we break down our love language, and I talk about this way back in episode five, understanding and enhancing the love in your life. So for anyone who isn't familiar with Dr. Gary Chapman's love languages, please check that out. It'll help you understand the question here and my thoughts about it. So my concern, again, is that you feel insecure. You are not being loved the way that you need love. You talked about physical touch. When you hug him, he just has spaghetti arms. You have to literally force him to hug you. I couldn't live like that. And I don't think you should either. He won't even say, I love you. He's neither showing you nor telling you that he loves you and wants you around. And yet when you make the logical conclusion that maybe you guys should part ways, he says, no, he doesn't want that. Well, what I don't want for you is to have to beg someone to give you a hug and beg someone to say, I love you, and beg someone who's depressed to go to therapy and get some help. I'm wondering if you feel an obligation to stay with him because you feel bad for him? Because none of this is sexy. I mean, he's not able to be a partner who is on your level, nor does he seem interested in trying to be a partner who is on your level and wants to know who you are intimately and what can he do to make your life better. That does not seem to be his M.O., so yeah, that's what makes me think, are you feeling guilty because you've been with him so long and you worried that if you left him, he might do something to harm himself? I mean, these are legitimate questions that you might ask in this situation. But the question is someone who you've reached out to for my thoughts. I, I'm thinking, please, please love yourself enough to know that this relationship is really subpar. I mean, way subpar and you deserve so much better. You deserve to be with someone who, when they learn what your, what your love language is, they are like, I'm on it, babe. I want to give that to you because that's how you want to receive love, so that's how I want to give love to you. You deserve someone who loves themselves enough to love you by taking care of their mental health. You deserve someone who will give you a hug because he wants to hug you. So ultimately, I don't see a lot of promise here. I actually wish he would do what the previous questioner's boyfriend did. I wish he would break up this relationship, set you free to find someone who's at your emotional level and go take care of himself. I wish he'd get some therapy. I wish he'd figure out what he needs to do as a man in this life to take ownership of his life and to fight those demons and figure out how to be a truly thriving, fully functioning adult man because that's the only person who should be trying to be in a relationship with a fully thriving, functional adult woman. Finally, and I have to say this, and I don't mean to sound harsh, but the fact that you were drawn to him and you've been with him, I'm concerned that you maybe have a bit of a fixer upper mentality. You like the wounded bird with the broken wing, and you want to come and save him. And I get that many women, because we're nurturers, because we've been raised to love and to care for, we see that weakness in a man. And sometimes we think, oh, I'll be his Florence Nightingale, and I'll be the one who will help fix him and bring him to the fullness of the man that he can be. But as we've been talking about throughout several of these answers today, You can't do that for him. He's got to do that on his own. And here's the thing about fixer-upper relationships. Even if he were to get healthy right now, I doubt that you guys would be able to make it because you've had this dynamic of you being the healthy one and him being the dysfunctional one. And as he would get healthy, that dynamic would be lopsided. Unless you guys could rearrange your dance, so to speak, it wouldn't go the distance. And that would be partly because maybe you wouldn't be as attracted to someone once they were more fully capable and emotionally stable, or he wouldn't be attracted to you anymore once he got healthy because the dynamic that's in place now is very much a you are the one who's helping and he is the one receiving help. So I feel like that was really hard to hear maybe, and I'm sorry. I hope it wasn't. I hope it provided clarity. Please know you are worth So much more. Please love yourself enough to know this. The love and life hack for this week is there's a love and life episode for that. Really, at this point, I've been so honored and so privileged to have interviewed brilliant professionals in their fields. And these episodes are now incredible resources for us as we tackle a variety of concerns and issues. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. If you have a question for me, head over to my website, loveandlifemedia.com. You'll find the Ask a Question tab, and you can submit your question as an audio file to be addressed on the podcast or a written message, which I'll cover in an IGTV. Please note, my responses to your questions are not psychotherapy and are not meant to be taken as such. They are just suggestions and recommendations. As always, an extra big thank you to those of you who've subscribed to the podcast. And when you get a second, if you don't mind reviewing it and leaving a nice five-star rating, that's so helpful too. And until next time, make it a great week.